I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast. We like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. And I am not feeling 100% today, but I have somebody who is 100%, Mr. Hi. Sean Latimer. I'm 120 today. I gotcha. Don't 120%. Worry. I'm trying to think what my son said the other day. Uh, my whole family's been a little bit sick, and my mother-in-law dropped him off at preschool, and... Uh, he looks at her and he goes, I don't want to go to preschool today. And she goes, why not? And he goes, just not feeling good. He's like, my, uh, my, my mind, my, my, my body's here, but my mind's not. And I was like, huh, interesting thing for a four-year-old to say. Yeah, so he's so wise. <laughs> yeah. As I stutter through that, I'm thinking to myself, uh, my body is here, but my mind is not here today. So, uh, did you get a chance to read the article or are you just going to wing it? Uh, no, I did. And, uh, some of it, definitely stuck with me. So I have a good story for you once you get started. No, go ahead. You start us off. Well, you kind of started off with the nostalgia and how like things hit home and uh, and kind of make you a softy. Am I on the right track? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And uh, so last night, um, as some of you may know, I have three little kids and uh, my boys are at a fun age where they're really into sports and, and all the things I like. And uh, do you remember the movie, The Little Giants? Yeah, Icebox. That's right. That's right. And I think it came out like 1994 or something like that. So I was about six or seven, about the same age as my boys. And uh, Mason saw it for the first time on the airplane, and he can't stop talking about how much he loved the movie. So we watched it last night as a family, and it was like such a cool moment for me to see a movie that I loved as a kid, watching my kids love it. And it, it just totally hit home. And uh, it, it, I, when I was reading the article, that was the first thing I thought of. Okay, I'm going to say that 9 out of 10 people listening to this have never seen that movie. Probably. This is for the 1 out of 10 annexation of Puerto Rico. That's right. That was the best play I've ever seen. (laughs) Exactly. So for those 1 out of 10 out there, I know that hit home for you too. There's a a joke between me and my sister-in-law. She says, my wife looks like Icebox. So then I have this thing where I often will text her like and and call my sister-in-law Icebox. She's like, no, it's your wife. And it's this back and forth. So it's pretty funny. Icebox, that's interesting because your wife is tiny. <laughs> yeah, I know. Is uh, Icebox, for those of you who have not seen the movie, is uh, a female uh, football player. Yeah. She's, she's not big. She's bigger than the kids. Girl, she's like girls a tall, grow rough faster. and tough tomboy. Yeah, and yeah exactly. exactly. Good movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Go watch that's, it. Uh, that's made the, uh, for the price of entry on this podcast, it's all worth it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So one thing Sean's referencing is this idea of nostalgia. And um, I was mentioning that it with the iPhone, I get these, do you get those too? The reminders? Yeah, the memories. Yeah. yeah. So I get these reminders like daily and it's like memories and there's little videos and like I never clicked them. And then one time I was like, I just clicked it. And then this like- Cue the music. Yeah, cue the music. (laughs) Elevator music comes on and it's like, it's like last year's vacation. And when you have really little kids, uh, you know, my my middle child is is two and a half. So a year ago he was one and a half. So when I get reminders of what we did Easter last year and look at him grow, I'm just like, oh, like uh, life moves so fast. Um, but in that vein, I, it reminded me of there's this finance author that I really like, and he talks about um, in, in his writing career one of his favorite things to do. Uh, I think it, when he lived in New York or DC, I don't know where it was, but he'd go to the library and he'd read old Wall Street journals. And he'd go to like the day after 9-11 or the Great Depression or something where he wanted to say, how did people feel in the moment of these historical events? Like he knew the next chapter. He knew the recovery. He knew what happened next. But how did people feel in the moment? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, that kind of gave me chills when I read it because during scary times, um, I, I, 
I think uh, if I'm asked questions, I can answer them. But I also just kind of sit in like a holding pattern. Like, oh, this is scary. I'm just going to sit because I, I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm just going to, I'm a delusional optimist. So I just think like, hey, everything's going to be okay. But I couldn't imagine if I had to write an article to a group of people to talk about what's happening. I don't know. It just, it seems like a uncomfortable place to be in. Yeah. I remember even during uh, like the, I mean, remember, it's not that long ago, but the depths of COVID when, uh, well, well, I don't know what the date would be, right? So it'd be something like the, not the depths, the beginning, right? The March, April, May yeah. of, of 2020. I remember text messages between David and I, and I I needed him to be confident, right? So when there was times where he would ask me questions or or different things like that, I just, I, I needed him to be like a rock in that yeah. moment because it was difficult, right? It was things that were happening in the world we haven't seen before and I needed the pep talk. I needed the coaching. I needed the encouragement so that I could be that encouragement to clients. Um, so looking at things, old newspapers and stuff like that in the moment is really interesting. And it's different than because um, you also mentioned like later in the article, a certain asset class that underperformed for a period of time. And then, you know, kind of doing some of that handholding that like, hey, you've already felt the pain that I don't know when the recovery is, but eventually things will get better. This will pass. Right. Um it's it's almost different when it's uh, something not really market related and and you don't really have a lot of that historical data to tie it to. And it's almost that more of a feeling of unknown. Yeah. Like during COVID, you're like going to the library, like Spanish flu, Spanish flu. Yeah. Like, or like something way, like, yeah. yeah. You're Try like, it's either going to be really, really, really bad or no big deal. There, yeah. There's nothing in between. So the reason I was kind of going down this path or kind of build this introduction is I wanted to do some thoughts on money nostalgia where we went back and I grabbed an article. It took me a long time to find it because I don't title these very good. <laughs> so I don't make titles relative to the content and uh, searchability is difficult. So um, yeah, figure out a way to make a content library in the future. Nonetheless, um, I remember writing this article about energy sector and how it was struggling at the beginning of 2020. So I actually didn't totally remember the timing, but I found it February 19th, 2020. And I was writing the article because I remember a friend who I helped set up their strategy and approach for, for investing was concerned in the first 45 days of the year of kind of how they were doing compared to their peers. And it's even funny to look back because the advice I was giving in the article I wrote got a whole lot worse, right? Yeah, like if you yeah. felt that way in February, Buckle up. <laughs> you hated me in December. You know what I mean? So, um, but the article was written in February. So all I could say is at that point, he was unsettled. What I never did is I never went back and wrote the the next chapter of that story. And I can just tell you now, the next chapter of that story is um, by January of the next year, uh, he pulled the ripcord. And he's like, I'm not going to do this strategy and approach anymore. And what you were alluding to earlier is I was telling him, hey, think about a boxing match you've already got punched in the face a couple times, but this thing is going to go down to the judges. Like, don't throw in the towel. Like, you've already taken the risk. I don't want you to miss out on the reward. Now, in the article, I was saying that the energy sector was this kind of coiled up spring, and I thought that what was once a headwind was going to become a tailwind. But it, that didn't play out on February 20th the next day, mm -hmm. right? We walked into COVID and, and things just got worse for non-stay-at-home stocks, right? And so that spring got coiled up even more. And it's easy to say now, again, in hindsight, 
to say that I wasn't wrong. I was just early. But the reason I wrote the article is he came back to me like a few weeks ago. I haven't, I haven't talked to this friend in a long time. And he's like, hey, I want your advice and guidance. And he handed me a statement of uh, his portfolio. And I'm not going to lie. I was curious because I was like, man, I remember when we disengaged. And I remember telling you to hold the energy stocks. Now I'm going to open the envelope. What did you actually do? Yeah, I'm having flashbacks of that COVID moment where, you know, you you mentioned in February, it started to become like a little scary, uncertain, but then it got way worse, right? And uh, I was getting phone calls from really close friends saying, should I put my parents 401ks to cash? Like things are getting ugly, they're never going to get better. And, And I had to kind of do that. It was weird. I do that handholding all day at work with clients. And then I'd go home and do that handholding with like neighbors and friends and family. And, and after a while, you're like this beacon of light. And you start to almost question yourself. You're like, I'm saying the right thing, right? But uh, I'm, I'm glad I did. And I, I'm, I, when I finished this article, it was kind of sad for me, actually, because I remember this scenario with this client. I remember you kind of coaching and handholding for over a year. Then I do remember you guys part, parted ways, correct? Yeah, yeah. And I remember you even said like, hey, I, I you go ahead and do your own thing. I totally understand. You know, water under the bridge. I still care about you. But if I were you, I would not sell these positions. And this is why. And I, and I felt like that was a very... Uh, the energy stocks. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I was encouraging him to hold those positions. You, you had no skin in the game, right? It was just like, hey, this is what I would do if you're in your position. Like, I, I wish you the best. And so then I was hoping that when I started to read it, I was hoping that you're going to say something like, yeah, you changed this, changed that. But he kept on and, and he was rewarded for it. But maybe you can tell everyone what happened. Yeah. I mean, it, the the natural thing to do, and, and I understand it. That's why I, I hope no matter what, this article doesn't come off as like, and I told you so, or a criticism that that's not the intent. It's that rather than use a, a textbook, we can actually look at a real story and see if we can glean some wisdom from it. So what most people would do in that situation um, is if in 2020, um, they had a higher than normal allocation to the energy sector, and the darlings of the day was the tech sector, you would go fill up your shopping basket in, in tech. And actually, that wouldn't have hurt you so bad in 21. So you probably would have felt, um, what's the word I would be looking for? Vindicated? Vindicated. Yeah, yeah. You were like, oh, man, I made a good decision. The problem is the wheels fell off in 2022. Mm-hmm. So like what I had a, a lot of trouble writing, maybe because I'm sick, but <laughs> is is this idea that you took the risk in the energy sector, you pulled the ripcord and you never got the reward. Then you went into a sector that was already highly rewarded to take their risk. Then you got punched in the face again. So I ended up opening the envelope, looking at this portfolio and I actually had the statement from when we parted ways, you know, d- December of uh, or January of, of 21. And I, I saw a portfolio that was was down, right? It wasn't down significantly. I want to be uh, intellectually or uh, editorially honest here. But um, it, it experienced what most investors did, the go nowhere markets, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, whatever the value was, it was like 10% less than, than that point, um, which would have been very different if the portfolio was more of a value orientation or energy. And I would encourage you to go to the article because I put some uh, those quilts that you like where it kind of shows the sector performance. And I showed how ugly energy was in 2020. It was, uh, it was unsettling. But then 21 and 22 is unreal, like, I didn't even remember until I printed it in this chart, and I'm going to pull it up so I don't butcher the wrong numbers. 
uh, energy was up 53.3% in 21 and 61.1% uh, in 2022. Coiled spring. That is significant. So when you get this idea that markets are about risk and reward, what I'm not telling you is that if you have something that's gone down a bunch, it's a coiled up spring. I'm telling you, we came to that conclusion from a valuation standpoint. Go back and read the original article that I wrote. It's called Why It's Sometimes uh, Okay to Underperform. I have the link in there. I provided like five or six reasons of why I'm saying here's where the argument would be on this is an attractive opportunity. I am not saying that if you have an ABC stock or um, I don't think it's a ticker symbol, but like if you had <laughs> – It might so, be. you got to be yeah, careful. <laughs> if you have some stock that is down 70%, that is not a sign of, man, this is a really good entry point. Uh, I, I provided a narrative, whether I was right or wrong, uh, and a thesis and an argument. Um, and maybe this played out to the benefit for reasons that weren't aligned with what I had. Maybe it was inflation, whatever. But nonetheless, that was a huge thing to miss out on. Uh, and you've talked about on this podcast, and I'll, I'll give you the baton for that, about even just missing out on the best days. Yeah, it's true. And uh, one thing I thought of when I was reading the article is, uh, you know, years before COVID, I remember senior advisors uh, making jokes in the office that, you know, energy plays and MLPs stood for a must-lose principle because that sector has been beat up for a long period of time. So it could have been, you know, almost like a double coiled spring. Like they were already trading in attractive valuations before COVID happened. And then uh, that obviously the the amplified once there was such a decrease in uh, usage. But uh, it is true that it's human nature to sit there and look at bad days and say, okay, I need to change something. Well, changing something means normally that you're selling at a loss or realizing losses. And then when things look better, it's normally after a few really big good days. And then they go, actually, things. I feel way better. Things look better. I want to go back into the market. But if you were just, if it wasn't your money and you were in a classroom and someone said, should you sell here or buy here? I'm pretty sure it's pretty easy in a case study to say, oh, well, why'd they do that? That was the dumbest thing they could have done. But people do it every day. Which is the great thing about our career or calling um, is that at least human behavior doesn't change. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's why I talked about in the article I referenced Warren Buffett, and we'll get back to that. But, you know, one of his skill sets is knowing this concept that the way people were behaving in the 1920s, people still behave that way in the 2020s. 2020s. <laughs> yeah, you say that. The 2020s? <laughs> the 2020s, yeah. So this idea that at least human behavior is consistent, you have some predictability. And um, grab your paper and pen because I can give you um, some answers to the test. If you have uh, an investment or a sector that has been come un become unloved, that people are taking the MLP acronym and, and making jokes about it, what do you get? You get very compressed valuations. What do I mean by that? I mean the price you pay for every dollar of earnings that they make uh, is attractive compared to or relative to its historical price. So you get compressed valuations, and then what do you need? You need some sort of catalyst to improve profits because when profits improve and people come back in, you not only get earnings growth, you get multiple expansion. And I'm not saying that's what you're, you're, you're seeking, but it's like that double-coiled spring that you're talking about. So when you see oil prices from that COVID moment to like negative future contracts because storage costs and things like that to $100 barrel of oil and you understand the, the impact that has on profitability – and then you understand, oh, now you're going to get a little bit multiple expansion too. That's when you get this just 
again, I, I, I actually couldn't have guessed that in, before looking at this chart of what 21 and 22 was for energy. That's huge. Yeah. Those are two gigantic years. Um, you know, Warren Buffett jokes around a lot that he's only made like five or six good investment decisions, but they're so meaningful and they've compounded and added so much attribution to his portfolio uh, that there's a huge benefit if you have a sound philosophy to stick with it and um, – you know, I can't stay. I shouldn't say stay the course because people hate it, but stay the course. Yeah, it, I have one more thing to add too. That uh, you mentioned it earlier that just because a, a position or stock has not or has underperformed, it does not mean that it is a coiled spring. Because uh, we joked about it. You know, uh, how often can something get cut in half? And and I I thought it was like a trick question. I knew it was a trick question, but it can always keep getting cut in half. So even if it's down ninety percent. It doesn't matter. It can keep going down. It could go to almost zero or zero. And I think investors forget that, that, uh, you know, it's easy to look at a chart and be like, oh, it was up here. Now it's here. I'm perfect. Now I'm going to buy more. This is what I should be doing. But you, you do need to know the valuation and the fundamentals of the company before making that type of investment. Yeah, you could sit down with somebody right now and say, I'm going to show you three great companies. Like today, they employ a ton of people. They impact our economy. You use their products. Great companies. And I'm going to show you their stock price. 20 years ago. And you're going to be surprised that the stock price is less today than it was 20 years ago. So there's a difference between a great company and a great stock. Uh, and that's why I was trying to, and I'm not an analyst, so like I, I shouldn't even talk about this. Um, but you know, we have the opportunity here at the Bonser Group to sit on our weekly investment calls, to be a fly on the wall, to, to be able to learn the language and, and glean the, the concepts. So even though Sean and I don't, don't ever execute trades or write, make recommendations on um, actual individual securities, um, we know the lay of the land. So it's this idea of what is the right valuation work and when does something become opportunistic. And the idea of this podcast is not really to teach you how to do that. Uh, it's more of saying, hey, what is your strategy? Like, is it written down? Can you recite it? Um, and then the next really important question is what could potentially happen to make you abandon that strategy? Yeah, we say it all the time. I mean, the investment management piece really comes from the overall allocation and the plan and the purpose of this money. So if you do determine it's for long-term investments and you do determine that you want to have equities, and then you do have to believe in the investment philosophy. Like Trevor said, you, you have to understand what you own and why, because there will be tough times. There will be another 2020, there'll be another 2018, there'll be another 2008. And, uh, and when you are most scared or most uncertain, that's when you're going to want to make a change. And you, you can't. I mean, you can, but you shouldn't. Yeah, we have the luxury of, you know, much credit to David Bonson, that we do have a lot of people interested in looking under the hood and what we do, mm -hmm. right? And, and one of the conversations I often have is, let me tell you our investment philosophy and what we stand for. And then you see if that resonates with you. Because if it doesn't, we are going to disappoint you. Right. <laughs> um, because I remember conversations where I've told people that, hey, we, we're, we're not market timers. And, and here's, let me tell you what I mean by that, is that um, we're not going to take uh, you know, whatever portion of your portfolio is in stocks and then flip a switch and make it cash the next day. We're just never going to do that. So if your expectation or your desire or your want or you believe that that is a, a viable strategy, we're the wrong group for you. Um, and, and that's where I'll kind of circle back where I was referencing Warren Buffett. Uh, I, I did it in the first article where I said Buffett versus the NASDAQ, right? And you look at, I think it was 1999. You have to read the article. Head's murky. So uh, 
I think he trailed the NASDAQ by 100%. Something like that. In a single year. I think he was down 20%. I think NASDAQ was up 85%. Yikes. Um, we all have pride in what we do. Um, we all have some level of ego. Uh, we know the idea of embarrassment. I mentioned in the article, if you have ever tripped and fell in public or you know, you were a teenager and you had a, a, a cracky voice in, inside some side of school presentation, whatever it might be, you know what embarrassment feels like. Warren Buffett had every reason to be technically embarrassed, right? I can't tell you how many articles every five or six years that basically say his strategy, his approach, it's 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 dated Obsolete, as yeah, it's dated dinosaur, as much as he yeah, is, yeah. you know, all this stuff. Yet he has the most impressive investment career um, of all time, mm-hmm. and he's ninety three, and he still does it, or ninety two, however old he is. So, what do you learn from that? Huh? There's some foundational truths that he picked up 80 years ago that are still applicable today. And I can tell you it probably has a lot to do with human behavior, that something gets unloved, throw out the baby with the bathwater. Um, you know, we've done a ton of research, and for our clients, we've written a lot about regional banks lately and um, the difference between regional banks and how some have gotten unfairly punished, which makes a valuation opportunity, right? Um, but you have to be contrarian when you're thinking like that because everybody's like, you're an idiot. Like, why would you even be fishing in that space? Um, and guess what? The word contrarian, you're going to be pretty lonely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it means a lot of people don't agree with you. Uh, but whether it's Warren Buffett or David Bonson, um, I'm sure it's a compliment to put them in the same sentence. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, that is what you have to do. You have to have conviction uh, about what your philosophy is. It doesn't mean you have to be stubborn just for, for stubbornness sake. And it doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't adapt to your environment, right? We adapt on purpose when things are opportunistic. Um, but there's a few things about valuation, human behavior, speculation that drive what we do and, and what we stand for. One more quick story before we wrap up. Yeah. So as I've become an advisor for longer, you know, you end up building kind of a, a sense of confidence, you know, been there, done that type of attitude, Right. And uh, I, I remember someone was kind of vetting out the Bonson Group to see if they want us to manage uh, part of their portfolio and a large balance sheet. And they, they said something along the lines like, you know, let's start with, I don't remember that, like 30% of the total. And we'll reevaluate after 12 months how it did. And I remember earlier in my career when I get those types of uh, scenarios, I'm like, well, sure, I'll take what I can get because I need clients. Flip a coin, yeah. hope it works out for the best. And 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 literally, I'm like, I really hope we perform well in the next 12 months, so I get the rest of the business because it's out of who knows what's gonna happen in the next 12 yeah. months, right? And and I would just say like, well, okay, I wish for the best, right? And uh, one thing that you know, as we evolve in our career, now I'm, I'm much more comfortable saying, all right, sounds good. Hey, question though, so 12 months go by and we do really well. What does that mean? And they're like, well, that's really good. And I'm like, okay. 12 months go by, we do bad. Do you fire us? Or what does that mean? And then and they're like, well, no, it'd be silly to use 12 months as the measuring stick. And I go, yeah, it would be, right? I'm on the same page. And I was like, I gave them kind of this look like, what are we talking about here? This is not a good plan. But um, I, I don't know. It's just interesting, you know, as time goes on and you see more things happen and you see that human behavior, you, you feel a little bit more confident saying like, wait, 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 this doesn't make sense. Yeah, and the thing place where I feel most comfortable because, um, like as you know, you don't want to border on the side of being prideful or or or, or arrogant. That, that's not right. the intent. But the easiest thing for me to say is like, um, I've read a ton about this stuff, and I don't have a monopoly on the truth. Uh, but my conclusion for 
my own money is that I'm going to do this. So um, I'm going to be a little bit defensive because I'm not going to let you convince me in how I change how I manage my own money. Right. Now, if you want to be along for that ride, I'm all in. Um, if you have questions, I love it because, you know, the, the inquiry is kind of your path to knowledge, and, and I want that. But, again, going back to Buffett, there's some truths. When he started investing 80 years ago that he still believes are true today. Did he become a better investor over those 80 years? Absolutely. Um, and he's even made some funny rules. Like I can give you quotes where he says, I'm never going to buy an airline stock. Uh, guess what? I can give you an example of when he bought an airline right. stock. So it, it's like it, he's still going to make mistakes too. It, that's not, not the point. But it's saying the foundation of what he does, that when he's going to make big moves that have um, meaningful impact on his business, uh, he's going to lean on that idea of valuation, staying away from speculation, and humans are going to behave the same way today as they did 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 2,000 years ago. So again, that's the truth I wanted you to glean from this. And it was an appropriate time to rewrite this because, man, I had the opportunity to then look at the the game film over the last two years for that person that abandoned the strategy. And it was a good reminder to me because I don't always look back at a lot of these articles. I'm like, man, February, March, April, May, June. This was uh, this was an ugly article. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I'm sure there's some that are going to be bad. Like I, I think about an article that I wrote. Um, I have no concept for time. But I, I think it was like within the last four or five months. And it was like this idea of permission to transact. That, uh, you know, it if you've decided that your family needs to make a move or buy a house or upgrade, like I don't think it is wise to just sit on your hands if it's in the best interest of your family. Like even if prices went down 10% or things like that, understanding the idea of what a home is and stuff like that. And I still feel good about that article, right? Because we've seen that in in real estate, there hasn't been a lot of transactions. And although interest rates have gone up, um, we, we haven't seen a huge dip in home prices. And and who knows what tomorrow has in store. But if I wrote that article like four or five or six months ago, it's example what I'm talking about is that if it's a meaningful change for your family because of a school district or because of space or you're having a new baby, like, I don't know, speculating that you're going to get a discount. Sometimes you'll wait longer than, than you planned and uh, it can change your opportunity set. So I want to be better at going back to these old articles and uh, making fun of myself uh, or using these as saying, hey, we didn't know this at this point in time, but now look what we know now, and it's still a truth. This is perfect, too, if we run out of material. You know, we have lots of articles we can go back to. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because we don't run out of material. There's not much. That's the problem. If you're writing about finance, if uh, if we say that there's these handful of truths that have existed for 100 years, you got to figure out a way to repackage them and say them in a new way 100 times over. And I'll defend you because when we talked about this the first time, I remember us saying, like, hey, it could get much uglier for markets, and it did. So good thing we threw that... uh, Know that little disclaimer? Disclaimer, that's right. Yeah, energy when I wrote the article was down nine percent on the year and it ended the year down thirty two percent. So it was a third of the way there. Um so yeah, nonetheless, here's the reality. None of our investment strategies are built for twelve months, right? That's right. Um, we're really intentional at saying, um, keep it simple, let's have two buckets, right? Money's earmarked for spending in the near future and money you want to used for long-term wealth accumulation. Uh, In that long-term wealth accumulation bucket, we are patient. 
because investing is an endurance sport. So whilst you rate the podcast, five stars are preferred. Uh, leave a comment on the podcast um, so people can see why you like it and um, – yeah, uh, encouragement for others to join. You can email us. Uh, the email's pretty easy, tom, T-O-M, at thebonsongroup.com. And you can address that to Sean or Trevor. We're happy to answer any of your questions. Um, I had a lot of people emailing me, making fun of me for s- finishing 62nd in our um, March Madness bracket. But luckily, uh, Lucas Klaus, who's recording it, he finished 63rd. So I, I don't feel so bad. I'm glad David did that because they were like, yeah, I heard Trevor got made fun of, but he didn't mention your name, so you must have done really well. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I did. But uh, I'm just not podcast, last. Is, podcast is over, but what did you finish, number one? I think I was like 20, 30 out of 65, so <laughs> middle of the pack. It's all yeah, right. I don't even remember who won. But nonetheless, we'll leave it there. Um, we hope that uh, you enjoyed today's article, conversation, and we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts, Thoughts on, on Money. money. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.